Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Dribbles to the right, gives it off. NBA 3. Got it! I got it under air! What an NBA 3! Fourth or Gunnison! 65 61, Nebraska by four. Four is on fire. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here for a short time tonight, we're going to get you ready for Husker women's basketball as they are up in Minneapolis getting set to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Second time these two have played this year. Huskers won the first matchup in Lincoln. A few weeks ago, Matt Cooney's going to join us here in a couple of minutes to give us a preview. Husker women currently 15-5. and five. Probably, and we'll get Coach's take on this, probably on the outside looking in on the bubble right now, but still with time to build, continue to build that resume. And tonight would be a good one. Road wins are always so much more valuable and a chance to pick off their second straight road win. They beat Wisconsin on the road over the weekend. Uh, so that's coming up at the top of the hour. We'll hand it off to Matt Codney and Jeff Grish at about 6.45, but Coach will join us here in just a couple of minutes. Ben McLaughlin, also with me for this uh, this show tonight. I just was telling you right before the open hit, asked you if you saw Tom Brady's tweet from a few minutes ago. Uh, it's a picture of him, like, walking toward, uh, looks like, Gillette Stadium Field in the tunnel, uh, his back to the camera. Interesting tweet. That's going to get people talking, don't you think? Yeah, it already has. I mean, it's all over Twitter what people are, uh, <laughs> you know, contemplating and and theorizing what this what this could mean. Um, you know, there's already rumors out there that that potentially he is already done in New England and you know has another uh, destination in mind. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it was clear this year. Um, that it just it, he wasn't the same, and you know after so many great runs in the postseason, you began to wonder, you know, will he ever slow down? And and it was it was clear this year that you know the Patriots were still a really good team, but you know they had one of the top defenses in the NFL, and that offense it just wasn't the same. And and I know he doesn't have the same supporting cast as some other teams does, but um, it the the arm strength and just the ability to, to, to take a game over, you feel like it's just, it's just not quite there. I'm predicting to you, and I think I may have said this on the show last night, I think he ends up with the Chargers. I think he wants to move his family to L.A. I think the Chargers, who have, have announced that they're parting ways with Phillip Rivers, need a starting quarterback. I think Brady believes he has a couple of years left in him, but I think he wants to do it somewhere else and wants a change, wants to have the family around him. In, uh, and they've, I guess they've already sold their house in the Boston area. I think, I think he plays, but I think it's going to be on the other coast in, in Los Angeles. And how cool is that for, for fans around here? If you're a Chiefs or a Broncos fan, you would get to see him a couple times a year with him joining the AFC West. Yeah, I'm all about it. You know, with how many tough losses he handed Kansas City, you know, to get the tail end of his career and to get him twice a year. Uh, I'm all about it. That's two chances to beat Tom Brady per year that that I'm fired up about, and and, and, it, and it would fit. It would fit the, uh, you know, it fit the the idea and the notion that you know, 
an unlikable player goes to an unlikable team. So it just works, you know, like uh, when you, when you think about, you know, all like Terrell Suggs is a great example. You know, I never cared for him when he was in Baltimore, but now that he's a chief, you know, I, I, I'm cool <laughs> with this. <laughs> so I, I'm glad I don't have to have that dilemma with a guy like Tom Brady. And, you know, my feelings can remain the same and, you know, just get two chances to beat him every year. All for it. I love how you slip that in there. Two chances to beat him. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, Big Ten basketball that I talked about the Husker women getting ready to play up in Minneapolis. A couple of games in the league tonight. One in Maryland is going to be a lot of fun. Iowa's traveled to College Park to take on the Terps. That'll be a fun matchup there tonight. And you also have another game in the league is starting here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, last night, Penn State, who's going to be in Lincoln on Saturday to take on the Huskers, beat up on Indiana wins by 15 points. Pat Chambers' team continuing to build their resume to get for an NCAA tournament bid. And for Indiana, I still think they've got work to do, as a lot of these teams do, uh, just because I'm not sure they have a lot of beef in that. The other game tonight in the league, by the way, is Minnesota at Illinois. Illinois currently a half a game back of Michigan State in the Big Ten standings. But Penn State's going to be a load. Uh, and, And what does it say, Ben, for for the Nittany Lions administration, how long they have hung in there with Pat Chambers. Because his first year in the league was Doc Sadler's last season at Nebraska. That's how long he has been there, and yet he's not been in the NCAA tournament yet as their head coach. Yeah, that's crazy to think about because I remember um, getting on the phone and interviewing Pat Chambers with his his first year uh, as, as a head coach at Penn State way back when and just kind of talking about, um, you know, his vision for the program and, uh, you know, what what all he wanted to bring to the table uh, for Penn State. And, and I think the, the one thing that it tells me for them sticking with him for that long is that, that recruiting matters in the eyes of the decision makers because, you know, Penn State was – the results weren't necessarily there. They got close a few times, but – the thing that kept the promise going for Penn State was those Philadelphia recruits, you know, guys like Josh Reeves that, uh, and that whole batch that um, Coach Chambers w- was able to bring yeah. in from the Philly area. And, and, and that was the, the selling point is let's let these guys play out. And it, it's, it's interesting because it was that next, that next crop of players to take them from a good team to a potential tournament team. And, and that's what he sold them on, and, and they gave him the time, and yet here he is, you know, building a, a Penn State team that's been ranked in the top 25 a handful of times already this year and, and has a more than legit shot of making the NCAA tournament when, you know, you've got a first-team all-conference player, Lamar Stevens, and experience, you know, in, in your front court with Mike Watkins, you know, you got a shot. So, yeah, that, that's, that's to me what it tells me. They will be here to take on the Huskers again Saturday night, 6 o'clock tip-off for that game. For Nebraska, as the Oscars wrap up a brief two-game homestand, had the game with Michigan a couple of nights ago. And we'll have Penn State here on Saturday night. Um, we'll have pregame coverage here on the network at 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon with Ken Pavelka and Jake Muehlheisen. Here are the numbers. You want to be a part of this one tonight. Again, short show, just uh, up until about a quarter of 7. We'll hand it off to Matt Cotney and Jeff Grish. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. As you can dial us up on our Sports Alley Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Matt Cotney sitting high atop Williams Arena. In Minneapolis, getting ready to call this game tonight. Code, how you doing? How's the weather up there today? 
Wow, balmy. Now, the last time we were here was the first time I'd ever been here where the daytime high was above zero. So I figure if we stay in the league another 50 years, it's going to be Bermuda when we come up here. <laughs> I wouldn't bank on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, second matchup between the two for the year. What do you remember about matchup number one in Lincoln a few weeks ago? Well, what I remember is Minnesota had Destiny Pitts, and Nebraska came into that as a poor three-point shooting team, and Minnesota coach Lindsey Whalen on her coach's show this week, the first thing she said was, we had no idea Nebraska could shoot it well enough to hit 10 threes. So I think uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different game because Minnesota looks different. Number one, their best player, Destiny Pitts, uh, the second game after Nebraska got suspended. Some of it had to do with her body language with her coach walking off the floor at Pinnacle Bank Arena. And after she got suspended, she entered the transfer portal. So Minnesota does not have a lot of depth, but talking to Minnesota people, they're going to say, we are a better team. It may not show it on the floor, but our chemistry, our teamwork, all that stuff's a lot better. Now, it hasn't necessarily shown in the one-loss column. They're 2-7 and seven in Big Ten play, uh, but they did beat Purdue. And I think uh, Minnesota kind of cost Nebraska because losing at home to Minnesota, Purdue came into Pinnacle Bank Arena made a couple of lineup changes and inspired some people to give some more effort. And Purdue got out to a 21-point lead and ended up beating Nebraska. So what I remember is the Huskers rebounded it very well after getting out-rebounded by Minnesota a year ago. They shot the three-pointer very well, and they held Destiny Pitts in check. So the scouting report from that game you can kind of throw out right now because they're, they're, they've got some different players playing different roles without Destiny Pitts. But uh, a good win for Nebraska, no question about it. Back in Lincoln, 72-58 back at the start of January, which seems like a whole season ago. Well, I mentioned right off the top of the show that the, the resume building is still going on. Nebraska needs to keep putting wins on the board. They're right now probably very much on that proverbial bubble for the NCAA tournament. Winning road games will really almost count as two. You got one at Wisconsin on Saturday. It would be huge, right, to win this one tonight. And for more reasons than what you've said, you know, before the season when you started bean counting, you looked at the back half, the final nine games of the Big Ten schedule, which start tonight, and you really thought Nebraska had a chance to do some things on paper. Then Iowa became a completely different team and is a top five RPI team and only has one loss in the league, and that was to Nebraska at PBA to start Big Ten play. Iowa looks nearly unbeatable right now, uh, and we have to go over there next Thursday night. Nebraska, Greg, has six top 25 RPI teams on their schedule in the final nine, which means this game at Minnesota, a team that the Huskers have already beaten, is crucial. Home games against Illinois and Penn State, who are the two teams at the bottom of the league, are crucial because those other six games, on paper, Nebraska will not be favored. So this one tonight is... I hate to say monumental, but it is it is absolutely vital that Nebraska get a win here tonight at a place that's very hard to win. Everybody knows that because of the raised floor, and Minnesota has a great fan base. So, uh, yeah, it it this one tonight is, is critical. Well, that was a huge come-from-behind win over the weekend at Wisconsin. Uh, Nebraska kind of got off the rails midway through that second half, and it looked pretty desperate. But that, that, team, that team showed a lot, didn't they, coming back the way they did on the road and pulling that one out? They did, and I think Amy Williams is kind of sick of coming back because that's three <laughs> straight games. 
a win over Michigan at PBA in which Nebraska was down 13 in the second half and came back and won it. A loss at home to Purdue in which Nebraska got down 21 in the first half, came back and took a four-point lead late and then lost, and then down 10 in the early fourth quarter at Wisconsin and then coming back and uh, surviving a place that has just been a nightmare and a snake pit for the Huskers. With Sam Hybe was huge down the stretch. Ashton Verbeek hit a big three. Izzy Bourne was, was huge in the game. Leah Brown was great for Nebraska, but still... Wisconsin had a chance if they hit a three and Nebraska fouled them in the final seconds to send it to overtime, and they hit a three, and Nebraska's Izzy Bourne was flying at the player, and I'm just holding my hands going, do not foul that player, whatever you do. It went in, who cares, one-point win, any win on the road, you'll take it no matter how it was. But it does say a lot about the resiliency of the team, but it also says a lot about the consistency in which they outscored Purdue at home 40-12 to in the middle part of the game and still lost because they got behind early. Amy Williams does not want to see her team consistently get behind and have to dig out of a hole. It's not a recipe for success. Matt Cotney with us from up at the barn in Minneapolis. Huskers to take on Minnesota at the top of the hour. Leah Brown was terrific late in that game at Wisconsin. She's one of the top scorers on this team, Cote, and yet she doesn't start. Lay it out for folks who, who maybe don't know uh, the, the lineup as well as you do in the rotation. She doesn't start, but yet she certainly can be a, 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 a stat sheet stuffer when the end of the game. And she's very comfortable coming off the bench. The leading scorer on the season, 13.7 points. And I think Amy Williams is getting s- uh, tired of getting those questions from media that haven't followed the Huskers necessarily all year when they come into a different town. This is what I tell fans. One, at the start of the year, Leah Brown, her defense was still behind her offense enough to where they couldn't start Leah Brown, but they wanted her to play a significant part of the game because she is arguably the best one-on-one offensive player on the team. But her defense has gotten better. The starting lineup has been good for Nebraska. Lee is comfortable coming off the bench, but this is what I tell fans. Let's say in your rotation, your best defensive player starts, and but in order to save him rest, you're going to take him out every quarter at the three-minute mark expired. And Amy Williams puts Leah Brown in at that point. Now you have to make a decision as the opposing coach. Do I leave my best defensive player in there who's not used to going that long? They It changes how other coaches have their rotations, the way they have their defenses, if they want to switch to zone. It causes a lot of problems on the scouting report, and I don't think a, a lot of fans think about those kinds of things. The matchups the other team have to do, it it really blows their rotations out. Leah's comfortable. It's worked for the team. She is a completely unselfish player. She doesn't need to start. And I think sometimes starting is overrated, at least in this situation, because Leah Brown is always on the floor in crunch time. And Amy Williams loves having her do that. And it's worked out very well for this team. All right, very good. You guys all situated. You got your, you got your water ready. You got your cough drops in hand. I have, uh, I always bring up uh, pregame a bottle of water for Coach Williams. People see me walk out with a bunch of water, and they all think it's for me, but I have at least one for Coach Williams. Uh, You know, I have been told that this is a nightmare up here, and, you know, maybe I'll feel differently after the game, but Jeff and I were talking about how nice it is up here. It's actually the view isn't as bad as I was led to believe. They've kind of changed the chair situation to make it better, I've been told, and 
I don't know. The elevator's right behind us, and, uh, yeah, I got everything ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get a win. Fantastic. Have a great call. Good luck tonight, Matt. Thanks. All right, all right Sharpie. Thanks, buddy. There is Matt Cotney joining us from Williams Arena up in Minneapolis. Top of the hour, Huskers against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. We've got a few minutes left of the program. Time for you to jump on board if you want. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports, who we talk to from time to time. Usually catch up with Dennis at the Big Ten Media Days in Chicago every July. He has put out the winners and losers from the coaching carousel of college football. Our Sports Highly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Bringing you more choices and brands, locations and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you for a few more minutes. Oscar women's basketball to the top of the hour. They're on the road. The Big Red. Set to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Matt Cotney, Jeff Grish will have the call here in just a couple of minutes. Mentioned before the break, Ben, that Dennis Dodd, who we usually catch up with in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days, has put out his annual grade card of the 22 coaching changes uh, that have occurred in in college football here in the offseason and kind of gave up his winners and losers and his – he gives out quite a few A's. You look at this thing, one, two, three, four, six A's of the 22 hires, headlined by Mike Leach, who took the job at Mississippi State. I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that anybody did a better job than Mississippi State getting Mike Leach, who's won everywhere he's been. Yeah, I'm uh, not quite sure how everybody got such good scores on here. Uh, you know, really only one bad score, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to, but – yeah, I mean, Mike Leach is the first guy on here, and, and obviously he's a, a show in itself off the field <laughs> and the way that he runs a program, so not entirely surprising. little surprised by number two, staying in the state of Mississippi with Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. How about football in the state of Mississippi, Greg, when you got <laughs> Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin now in charge of the major programs in that state um the egg bowl is certainly going to be a spectacle um if it wasn't already this year with the c- celebration that was that drew the f- the flag with uh with Ole Miss but you know now it's going to be even more of a spectacle with the head coaches that's certainly going to be an interesting rivalry I don't know how Lane Kiffin deserves an A though um you know to me he's hasn't really done an exceptional job anywhere he's been as a head coach um I don't know that this is a, a move that, that deserves an A in Oxford, but I, I'm definitely in the boat that, that Mike Leach probably deserves the benefit of the doubt. I'm totally with you. I mean, in Lane Kiffin's two big-time jobs in college football, I don't want to talk about his Raiders tenure, but USC, Tennessee, he didn't make it. He's been okay, maybe better than okay at FAU, but I'm with you. I don't think there's any way that that hire deserves an A. The third guy on the list is Greg Schiano, and he gets an A for Rutgers, the one change in the Big Ten Conference this offseason. And, and I, I'm totally fine with that because Schiano did miracles the first time around at Rutgers. And I think he's going to – I've heard people say if he can't get it done at Rutgers, nobody can, and nobody has other than him. I, I think he will get them to, to respectability where they're not just going to be a punching bag week in and week out in the, in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I – the logic I understand, but at the same time, I feel like Dennis is is con- contradicting himself because if you're if you're if you that's the, your logic, right? Because he's done it here before, 
then there's no reason why Brady Hoke is a B. Uh, you know, Willie Taggart probably gets more of a benefit of the doubt because he's done it at a similar level at Florida Atlantic. Um, but but to just to just anoint Greg Schiano as an A and the rest of those guys B, don't know that I see it. Uh, and it is going to take miracle work to to pull that program. Even even to competitive. I mean, forget forget a, a, a regularity bowl team. I mean, just to make that team competitive on the because they're not they're not competitive in this league, and and to just make them competitive uh, is going to be a, an astronomical chore. So the hire I think is is a good one, but can he do it to the level that he did back back then? You know, a pre Nebraska Big Ten, pre pre you know expansion Big Ten. I don't know that he can. I I, I don't see it. I don't see it working. Here's here's the one thing I would say about Shiano is I could see him leapfrogging a couple of programs in the Big Ten East, Maryland and Indiana. I think he could overtake both of those. And heck, Michigan State's not exactly on solid ground right now. The last couple of years they've had under Mark D'Antonio. So, but that's still maybe a stretch that he can catch them. But I think in, in a couple of years, I think he can catch Maryland and Indiana. And if he could jump those two, then they could be a bull team every year. Yeah, it's possible. And the interesting comparison is with Maryland because, you know, both of these campuses have the ability, Greg, to bring in high-quality talent. We've seen both of these teams do it already. I mean, even Coach Loxley already getting Anthony McFarlane to commit to Maryland, you know, as a five-star, I think that's, that's certainly – a feather in the cap of Maryland, and you look at some of the other guys that have come across that program, guys like Darius Hayward Bay, who's a first-round pick, Stephon Diggs, who's making it huge with the Vikings right now. Like, it is possible to get good talent into College Park. That being said, when we first joined the Big Ten, how many years in a row did Rutgers get a five-star? It was unbelievable. Those guys were still able to get four- and five-star kids to Rutgers. I think Shiano will recruit at a higher level, which, which is not saying a whole lot. But I do think Shiano has the ability to get guys to stay in that New Jersey area. That is a pretty good foot, footprint for recruiting. Don't forget uh, a guy by the name of Saquon Barkley should have been a Rutgers oh, Scarlet yeah. Knight, but instead he got away to Penn State. I, I think some of these kids are, are and will end up staying home at Rutgers to make them better. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to be an interesting competition between Rutgers and Maryland. Who can lift this thing off the ground first? No doubt. Right now, I'd say it's going to be Shiano. I just I think that they've got the better guy in place, a guy that has succeeded at the school that he's at, but certainly time is always the, is the referee of this whole thing. The other A's that Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports gave out, Mike Norvell, who left Memphis to take Florida State, Nick Rolovich, who left Hawaii to go to Washington State, taking over for Leach, Danny Gonzalez, who now is the new head coach at New Mexico. Norvell will be interesting, and um, – it, it, the parallels between what Florida State's been going through, what Nebraska has been going through, are kind of similar, eerily similar. They both have gone to the, the AAC to get their next head coach, Scott Frost, here, and now Norvell goes from Memphis to Florida State. Now looking down to who he gave bees to, Dave Aranda, who left LSU as the defensive coordinator. That job now has been filled by Bo Pelini at LSU. Aranda goes to be the head coach at Baylor, taking over for Matt Rule, who goes to the NFL for the Carolina Panthers. I think he's... I think he's stepping into a pretty decent situation there in Waco. I think he is. I think, you know, in, the, in his ability to get some of that staff from LSU to Waco, those guys are really good recruiters. And Baylor needs better recruiting 
and, and, and not to say that they haven't had good players in the past, they have, but you look at some of the other teams in that league and the level to which they recruit, Baylor is severely lacking behind, especially after the December signing period that they had. But I'm, I'm willing to give Dave Aranda the benefit of the doubt here and, and think he's going to do a pretty good job. Um, I think Coach Rule did a great job, you know, taking that thing over from a, just a disaster of a situation that Art Bryles left behind. What he was able to do with that program in a short amount of time was, was pretty miraculous. So I think Dave Aranda is inheriting a pretty good situation, and his ability to bring some recruiters over from Baton Rouge with him to Waco is definitely going to help his cause out. Um, of, of all the A's, that, that, that were handed out, you know, I think Dennis Dodd's playing it safe to kind of cover his bases in case this doesn't work in Waco. But I think Dave Aranda at a B is pretty low grade. Another one that, that I don't – Jimmy Lake at Washington takes over for Chris Peterson. I don't know enough about Jimmy Lake to really form an opinion. Maybe, maybe you do. I don't. Um, the Huskies certainly had climbed to a pretty high level under Coach Peterson. This was not a good year for them, much to the chagrin of our own Nate Roar, who pushed hard for them to be a top-10 preseason team in our preseason top 25. But I don't know a lot about Jimmy Lake. You knew it was going to be a Peterson tree guy. You knew it was going to be a, a guy that had been around either him or the Washington program that was going to take over um, because you think about where that program was under Coach Peterson – I don't, I don't know that it was a safe risk to take, especially, Greg, based on the candidates that were still out there as head coaches to take over a job. It just wasn't a good, a good year to be hiring uh, outside of your, your niche, especially when what you've been doing in-house has been working. So to me, Jimmy Lake's hire wasn't a huge surprise, but it wasn't a huge splash at the same time either. Yeah. You referenced the only loser on his list was Steve Adazio, who was fired at Boston College, got tired at Colorado State. I don't know. I mean, he had some decent teams at BC, and why can't he go out and win in, in the Mountain West? I think it's just because of the situation that he left uh, in BC the, I mean, I think the the idea of just getting getting fired from one job and then picking up um, picking up another job at Colorado State. You think about those Mike Bobo teams, and you know they had Rashard Higgins and some other really good weapons at Colorado State, Capri Bibbs and some other good running backs, and then you know Steve Adazio comes in, and BC's offenses have been anemic and just bad the last few years so that's probably how he's being graded on this hire Colorado State's probably wanting it want or people are wanting Colorado State or thinking they could get somebody a little more flashy you know you look you look back up to this list as you know somebody you already mentioned um, you know Rolovich you know somebody like that who's kind of got the the flair the the funky personality and and just kind of fits I don't know that Steve Adazio is a guy that's going to come in and and you know get a lot of people super fired up about ram football yeah all right that's it we worked hard for this one didn't we we did yeah we just we just held the blanket for matt Cotney so he could take over and uh, and hopefully get us a win tonight no doubt all right full show tomorrow night we'll talk to ian rapaport who's been down in miami all week covering the super bowl we'll see if he has some insight into this weird cryptic tom brady tweet earlier tonight so we'll look forward to having that conversation and a lot more coming your way tomorrow night here on sports Sunday. thanks to ben to tim to austin and to all of you for listening stick around husker women's basketball coming up next matt coney and jeff grish from minneapolis